Hi everyone and welcome to the Two Cents Footy Podcast with me Jeff and the lamb and pavlova loving, food loving, Sunderland supporting co-colleague on here, JP. And yeah, happy Xmas, happy Christmas JP. Uh, how was your How was your Christmas? Happy Christmas to um to you as well. Yeah, it was very nice. Um, had a lovely lamb roast and and pavlova, um, which made up for the weather. Um, but yeah, it was nice and chilled and and quiet. And now we're into the the thick of it of the the festive football season, which is great. But um, how are you doing? Yeah, great. I have recovered from all the ailments. It was a left field Christmas, JP, with. Uh, salmon as the main Ooh. and then a panna cotta which I'm sure is a very good left wing back for Italy <laughs> with passion fruit coolie so uh, yeah my body is a bit feeling a bit schlubby from <laughs> a bit diabetic <laughs> yeah I need insulin on stat that's why I'm on the, I'm on the salads <laughs> so yeah Excellent. All right. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us, as always. Um, John, we will get him next time. We are going to his house, so we have to find him. I don't think he will get out of not recording the next one. Uh, no, I'm just saying. You know, it's, it's one of them things. He's like a special guest to us. Uh, so great. Thanks for joining. Uh, we have quite a, a varied uh, list of things to go through. So we're going to do... A little Christmas quiz. So there'll be five questions each way. There's some breaking news up uh, at the club of the class of 92. We have a chat about a rising star on the south coast um, playing for Bournemouth Football Club. We have a Euro 2024 uh, countdown with our next team at Switzerland. We're going to cover briefly the schedule. Uh, about the Christmas period uh, and the festivities. Uh, We will have a quick look at what's going on in Saudi Arabia. All right, great. Let's kick off. Uh, So we have a quiz. Uh, I have five questions, courtesy of a newspaper which I cannot promote. And I'm going to go, yeah, just go through five of them. So we have uh, four options for each. Okay, the question is, uh, for the first one, who came out with this memorable quote in March 2023? They don't play for something important here. They don't want to play under any pressure. Is it Mm -hmm. Pep Guardiola? A. Jose Mourinho? B. Antonio Conte? C. I'm going to go for a C, Antonio Conte. Spot on. Uh, yeah, the Spurs manager launched into this crazy attack on the players and Daniel Levy after a 3-3 draw against Southampton, who got relegated. Oh, that seems like ages ago. Wouldn't, wouldn't even have thought that was 2023. <laughs> I know, it feels like 2021. Spurs have churned through the managers. Yeah, they have, and... They've landed with Big Ange. One way to describe them. So a little bit close to home for you. Luton Town returned to the English top flight for the first time since the 91 and 92 uh, after a dramatic uh, penalty shootout in the playoff final. Uh, who did they beat last year? Uh, oh no, who did they beat <laughs> then to, to get promoted? Was it a Coventry, a- Coventry FC? <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> Need to go through the options. Yeah, in a twist of fate, they completely wiped, uh, got wiped out by Luton uh, in 92, and then again um, last year. Okay, question three. Ange Postacoglu signed off at Celtic with a Scottish Cup final victory over Inverness Caledonian Thistle. What was unusual about Kaylee's trip to Hampton Park? So the three options are A, they were the first third-tier side to reach the final. They sent out a youth team in protest over the prize money. Or C, they were knocked out in the fourth round and reinstated. Uh, 
Hmm. It's one that I definitely don't know, so I'm going to hazard a guess. I'm going to go for B. I'm going to go, did they field their youth side in protest? Uh, uh, <laughs> that's a good guess. Uh, so they were knocked out uh, in the fourth round and reinstated. They lost 2-0 to Queen's Park, but their opponents were kicked out for fielding an, an ineligible player. Oh, interesting. Yeah, had no idea about that one. Not that I yeah. keep up to date with the Scottish Cup or <laughs> the Scottish leagues, to be fair. But um... <laughs> yeah, when we just keep our kind of tabs on, <laughs> she with Ange Borland and Sunderland's new head coach. Okay, this is back to more. What well, speak is kind of linked again to Spurs' former managers. Okay, so Roma lost a bad-tempered Europa League final to Sevilla on penalties. How did their manager, Jose Mourinho, respond? Is it A, he called his team the real winners in his press conference? B, he confronted the referee, Anthony Taylor, in the car park after the game? Or C, he called Anthony Taylor a bold fraud on Twitter, which I'm personally offended by? (laughs) It's um, answer B, he went and confronted Anthony Taylor after the game. I believe it was... um... Somewhere in the stadium, sort of by the coaches, I think, and he had a, a couple of stern words for old Anthony Taylor after... I can't remember exactly what happened within the game, but um, obviously it was, it was controversial and, um, yeah, Mourinho wasn't too happy. <laughs> yeah, seems to have a, a fiery temper. Um, yeah, his outburst was caught on camera, which led to a four-match game from UEFA. Okay, and then my last question for you, JP. Manchester City completed a historic treble by beating Inter Milan in the Champions League final. On that subject, which of these venues is the odd one out? Is it A, Ataturk Stadium, Istanbul, B, Wembley Stadium, London, or C, the Etihad Stadium, Manchester? Hmm, the odd one out. Um, I'm going to go Etihad. Spot on, correct. <laughs> so yeah, the the thing here was none of City's three trophies were clinched at their home ga- ground. Uh, so they won the Champions League in Turkey, uh, the FA Cup final at Wembley, and uh, funny enough, slightly separately, Arsenal lost 1-0 to Forest, which meant City won the title um, while they were not playing. So yeah, we'll see. I don't know whether they'll will be on track for this year, but yeah. Big achievement and really tough to kind of emulate. But yeah, that's my quiz to you, JP. Awesome. Thanks for those questions. I've got um a handful for you as well to um in the spirit of the roundup of twenty twenty three. Um nice. so question one from me is which League Two side beat Southampton in the FA Cup quarter final? And so I've got four options. So I've got Carlisle, Grimsby Town, Swindon, or Walsall. Grimsby. Spot on. Yep, that's the one. So um, Grimsby went to St. James's, not St. James's, St. Mary's and beat Southampton in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup, obviously beginning of the year in, in 2023. I remember the score for that one. Yeah, uh, it was so the result was actually two one to Grimsby Town, which meant they went into the semi final of the FA Cup. That's amazing, little fishing village. Yeah. Um, so my second question of the quiz: which, Who was the first Premier League manager to be sacked in twenty twenty three? And so the options are Nathan Jones, Patrick Vieira, Jesse Marsh. Or Frank Lampard? Oh, that's so tough. <laughs> so, yeah, L- Lampard went really early from memory. Uh, oh, no, it was an interim manager. So then I don't think he was sacked. Jesse Marsh went, I think, quite late. Oh, yeah, because Big Sam took over. Uh, then you had Patrick Vieira. He went and then Roy went on a run. Uh, and then first, what was it, Nathan Jones? I'm going to say A, 
Nathan Jones. So you're actually on the right track when you're going on around Frank Lampard. So it was actually Frank Lampard that was the first manager to be sacked in 2023. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was and, a, like a caretaker manager. <laughs> and so he was sacked by Everton after a winless run that saw them drop to the 19th in the Premier League. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm thinking of Chelsea. Gotcha. He got fired by Everton. Yeah. And so um, they they actually hadn't won a match since October twenty two, um, which led to his um, led to his sacking. Replacing him with the with the relegation defender of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that was that one. Um, question three. Which Premier League player ended up with the most yellow cards for last season? So we've got option A, João Paulinho from Fulham. Um, B, Casemiro from Man United. C, um, Casado for, well, currently Chelsea, but I guess was Brighton last year. And D, Ruben Neves, who, well, he's now Saudi, but um, was at Wolves. Very tricky. So was it Paulinho? Paulinia, Casemiro, um, Casado, and Ruben Neves. Casemiro, Casado, Neves. It's interesting, Casado and Casemiro do stand out. I think Casemiro has got some bookings. Neves, again, was a bit hot-headed. Casado. Okay, my gut instinct is saying Casemiro. To be honest, when I'm... I originally saw this question. I was very similar in terms of what my answer to be. I would have gone Casemiro as well, but it's actually João Paulinho for um, Fulham. Oh, right. How many? Who, well, he's got eight already for this year in 16 appearances. Um, and then for last year, he had 14. 14 right. yellows. Yeah, and so he's already well on his way to getting that again <laughs> this year. <laughs> Big headache. Yeah, which is um actually I think his um ratio this year is actually worse than last year, which is quite something. <laughs> it's after all the <laughs> anger management and discipline coaching. <laughs> yeah, it's gone back the wrong way. <laughs> and so um, question four. Which Saudi Pro League team did Karim Benzema join from Real Madrid? So we got A, El Etifak. Yeah. B, Al Itihad. C, Al Hilal. And D, Al Nassar. Oh, crikey, that is tough. Nassar's the one that went to went up Ronaldo, I think. Etihad. Honestly, they're all the synonymous now. <laughs> <laughs> um, Itifak. So it was actually B Al Itihad. Itihad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I know I always get Al Etifak and Al Itihad mixed up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. He did join, I think, Al Itihad with a couple other sort of players. I think Kante was another and Fabinho also was another I think that went to Al Itihad alongside yeah. him. Um but yeah, that was question four. Awesome. Question five. Out of these players, who scored the most goals in the Euro twenty twenty four qualifiers? Option A is Resmond Hoyland. Yeah. B Erling Haaland. C, Harry Kane, or D, Scott McTominay? Oh, tricky. McTominay did get a few clinches for them. Haaland is decent, but not quite. He's a bit more neutered for Norway. Kane has always been solid. And who's the fourth option? The fourth, oh, so you've got Rasmus Hoyland. Hoyland. Yeah. Hoyland. Um, I'm going to go Harry Kane. Bottom. That's exactly it. 
it's it's a tricky one because um uh you've got sort of big names like Erling Haaland in there and you know sort of Scott McTominay's had a decent um had a decent uh campaign with with Scotland but mm-hmm. yeah the standout is definitely Harry Kane and yes that's absolutely correct so so in terms of Euro qualifiers he played eight games and eight goals so won a game oh okay but that's still very solid yeah very hard to break that one down especially when you're playing North Macedonia <laughs> yeah and Malta Malta oh, my favourite <laughs> but um, yeah there were my my five little questions for for this week's quiz superb no really um, yeah does wrangle your mind. Uh, yeah, we're going to do another one next time when we see John uh, in person again. But yeah, thanks for that, dude. There's a, yeah, a bit of... Uh, <laughs> this one's linked to the class of 1992. Uh, so our segue will be on uh, Salford City FC. Uh, so they sit close to the bottom of League 2 nearly got promotion last year they were actually in the playoff semi-final and they were one goal away from getting uh, through into the the Wembley playoff to get into League One can you believe and um, yeah he's their sixth manager in eight years when you consider uh, Neil Wood is the manager and you you could or former manager and you consider that Alex Ferguson was in charge of Man United for, was it nearly 30 years? All that consistency, trophies, culture, and you think Salford City were, you've got the class of 92, so was it, but Neville, Neville, Giggs and Scholes, and a billionaire called Peter Lim, um, just cannot seem to get a team consistently moving, like Wrexham, for example, who are just amazing in League 2. Kind of the celebrity year for League Two. And yeah, he was their fourth permanent appointment as a manager and also was at Man United in their youth and academy team as a coach. So it's getting pretty awkward up there. Um, but yeah, Man United, Man United will have, you know, given so many academy players and so forth to Salford. And they've got this terrible injury problem at the moment. Uh, which is leading um, to them just being leaky. So, in fact, they lost 5-1 on Boxing Day against Tranmere Rovers. And, yeah, again, their defence was like a butter that's gone under a 300-degree oven. It was, yeah, just appalling. So, um, yeah, the manager's taken the heat for the players. It's, yeah, they're on the cusp of relegation, and you think they could be knocked out of the Football League again. Yeah, crazy, crazy what's going on when you think they've had this amazing promotion run and now they're just completely stuck. Yeah, so in terms of the... So obviously it's well known that the Class 92 are heavily involved in Salford. Is there still a big financial thing that they're sort of putting into Salford City? Do you know, Jeff? Definitely, yeah. They're some of the highest players in the league. That's not a problem. They've upgraded the training facilities. And they do have a pipeline into Man United's academy. So it just makes you wonder what's the problem. Or Yeah, and even uh, Wood himself, I think, was a former United Academy coach or something as well. So, yeah, a strange... I think the, the strangest thing for me is... Although they were, they were um, sort of the class of '92. They don't seem to be running Salford in the same way that they were brought up in in terms of Man United, in terms of you know hiring and firing managers very quickly. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's it's strange. You think you said was it six managers in was it eight months or something? Eight years. Eight years. Um, which is yeah, just cr- that's just craziness. It's almost kind of what's going on with almost Man United at the moment. Um, after Sir Alex, um, 
so yeah I'm, I'm i'm very surprised they're they're taking that kind of approach i mean like you said they've got very good links into united academy and and good financial sort of ability for a club within league two so the fact that they're sort of down around 2021 yeah that's not a great position for them to be in and i think eight games currently without a win so um yeah they they look like they're really struggling at the moment uh, yeah, they're, they're they're only manager that has not been chopped as a as a as a person called Paul Scholes. I wonder why that was. <laughs> yeah, he's the interim manager, and I think they lost under him as well. So yeah, I mean, from my perspective, looking back on all the managers, the the big regret was them sacking a guy called Graham Alexander, who kind of got them on the cusp for the playoffs, just not quite promoted. Um, where they really kind of missed out on again, we'll get into Wembley. He then moved to Motherwell and then now has moved to Bradford. But they've they've then gone on to what was it a guy called um before Neil Wood was a guy called Gary Bowyer. He seemed to he was there for about a year. Neil Wood's been there eighteen months. Before that, that Gary Bowyer was Richie Wellens, who's there for five months. Uh, and then Graham Alexander for I think a couple of years and it sort of transcended the COVID era. And then they had this kind of attack dog pair who were a couple of who were co-managers. So, uh, well, I don't know what they have to do. <laughs> yeah, it's all, yeah, it's almost the League 2 version of Man United. <laughs> yeah. It's, but even Man United is squeaking out the odd good result, as, as you know. <laughs> okay, um, so let's move on. So next we had uh, a little look at uh, a certain player called Dominic Solanke, who plays for Bournemouth. He is on scintillating form, isn't he, JP? Yeah, he he certainly is. He's now bagged his 12th goal of the season, um, (laughs) which um, is, I think he's literally just behind Erling Haaland and Mo Salah, I think, um, are the only two in front of him. So in terms of I guess especially from a an English point of view, he's he's the the top dog at the moment. <laughs> but um, what's quite impressive is is he's not just scoring goals, but Bournemouth are actually picking up the um, picking up the results also. So um, <laughs> I think earlier on in the season we were kind of like, oh yeah, Bournemouth will be sort of down and around the okay. the relegation zone, and their their new manager um, Ieroli or whatever, however you say it has really transformed them. <laughs> and he's got them playing some good stuff but um, no I think it, he's a player I wanted to kind of sort of discuss because he not only is he scoring goals but he's performing really really well at, at probably a kind of a time in football where we don't really have many total strikers in terms of you know that focal point that can do a bit of everything Um from sort of when, especially when he got that hat trick um, he, that he got for for Bournemouth the other week, you know he was he's able to hold the ball up, he's able to run with it, he's quick, he scores with his head, scores with his feet, and so to me he he's now developed into a almost like just the complete striker. Um, and I know he sort of he's come from sort of the Liverpool academy when he was really young and. You know, he's taken a while to sort of heat up when playing for Bournemouth. But he now seems like he's kind of finding his stride. Um, and so it's, it's good to see. And actually, with the Euros coming up, if he c- continues this kind of form, you, you know, maybe he fancies himself as getting a, a sneaky position in, in the Euro squad. But um, yeah, I think it's really good for for Bournemouth, but also really good for the Premier, from the Premier League where we have another what looks like a potential uh, like out-and-out striker. I think, you know, you could probably count on your hands how many out-and-out strikers there, there are now in the Premier League and, and within world football. So, um, yeah, I think it deserves to be sort of recognised. But, um, Jeff, how sort of impressed are you by Slanky, especially in the last couple of weeks at the moment? Superb. Just, uh, was it, 12 goals so far the season, six just in December. An absolute missile within the six-yard box. 
clinical crisp. Yeah, I mean, well, was it responsible for the three 0 win against? Partly responsible for the three 0 win against Man United. Um, and yeah, it's there's a lot of speculation in the press about him being of interest to the Gunners, to Spurs, to Chelsea. Um, when he's under contract until 2027. So that could be a um, bit of a payout if they do come sniffing then. 100%. Yeah, they they really could. Uh, and yeah, he's not on, I guess, from a footballer's perspective the most. So was it 50k a week? You know, yeah. To Rashford, for example. Yeah, because I think he, I mean, from memory, I mean, I can't remember the exact fee Bournemouth bought him for from, from Liverpool, but I think it, it might have been around the 20 million-ish pound mark. So I think, I mean, he came from the Liverpool Academy and had that whole, that whole lot of sort of expectation to be, to be really good. And I think, you know, I think in general, I mean, I'm not sure when, when they were sort of down in sort of like the championship kind of, what he was kind of like, but certainly within the Premier League, he, you know, a bit hit and miss. Always looked like he might have had something, but never really did anything. Mm-hmm. Whereas now he's looking really clinical. It might even be the way that the new manager sort of plays. But um, I'd be fairly interested to sort of keep an eye on in terms of whether anyone does sort of come sniffing and whether Bournemouth end up going, actually, now we're going to keep him and try and push to that next level um, or whether they go, actually, yeah, we'll, we'll take the money and, and invest in, in the whole squad. But, um, yeah, not a surprise teams like Arsenal, I guess especially Arsenal at the moment, who kind of lack that focal point or that, that sort of goal scorer that you don't really have in Jesus um, in particular. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And it's similar with Chelsea, they've got... You know, with Nicholas Jack's news, very hit and miss. Um, Solanke could be a very good, very good option for them. Right, yeah, good touch on the ball, good physique, work ethic. So it makes you wonder, of course, Chelsea would want to replace a misfiring Nicholas Jackson. Or I think there's kind of again speculation about Inketia, whether you know Palace are interested in signing him to get another out-and-out striker. Um. So potentially Arsenal could do a swap. Uh, I say swap with Bournemouth. Yeah, in order to, to replace Nketiah, potentially. To kind yeah. Of give them the solid goals that they, they need as, I guess, the grind part of the season happens. I mean, in sort of hypothetical talk, Jeff, if Solanke was to, say, score 20-plus goals a season for Bournemouth, um, do you reckon that, that is enough for him to sneak in the Euro squad? Because I guess what you've, we've, I mean, Harry Kane's obviously going to be going if he's fit. Um, you've then probably got a bit of a queue of players in terms of Watkins, Wilson, and we'll put, I guess, Tony and now probably Solanke. And so, I don't know, Southgate maybe picks one out of those three or four. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I didn't. I know they're not technically, but they always get classed, don't they? Foden and Grealish, yeah, as forwards. Uh, oof, it's so tricky. I mean, what, it's hard to say you can't bring Watkins. Um, Wilson is out of form. Tony has not really been playing, so it seems like you'd go Watkins over Solanke, but. Makes you wonder, right, uh, to your point, how many goals is right to get into this England squad when just go with the data? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is a bit like that. But um, I think when when we've seen sort of Watkins in the England squad, although sort of he's obviously competing at the top end of the Premier League and he's done pretty well this season as well, when he plays for England, he doesn't quite have the same impact and so although, I think for me, although Slanky could, say, score 20, 25 goals potentially this season with Bournemouth, there would still be a question around whether he could do it at international level and against, in terms of that kind of style of play. Because I think it's, it seems at the moment quite evident with Watkins and, and Wilson and, and that, that they, they generally just don't tend to perform as well 
for England, it might just, I don't know, maybe it just sort of highlights how good Harry Kane is. But um, yeah, tricky one. I think it's definitely an area that England kind of lack a little bit after Harry Kane, but potentially a good opportunity for someone like Slanky to come in. And I think he's probably around, I think he's about sort of the 26 mark. 26. um, He's probably coming to that point where if he starts really becoming that finished article he might be able to sort of jump the queue a little bit but um hypothetical yeah he goes let's say he goes to arsenal continues the trend he could be a good understudy for kane brought on maybe in like the 75th minute yeah but um i know we've got a a bit of a question about this later on but maybe it kind of highlights the whole playing English youngsters and how maybe Slanky didn't get that opportunity when he was really young within the Liverpool Academy. I mean, I think within his case, he's probably been a bit of a late bloomer, but um, yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll come on to that in in a bit. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I'm also considering where do you, I mean, he's more out and out striker, not like a Rashford where he's on the, the wings, Foden on the wings, Creelish on the wings as well. So it's sort of, uh, well, yeah, Watkins, I guess, more as a as a planted striker. Yeah, it makes you wonder. Maybe if he performs in the next month, he'll, he could be in the Euro kind of warm up games that happen. More as a trial run, minimal risk. Absolutely. Okay, so we good. Um, also, again, another good lead on to Euro twenty twenty four. So this is our fourth instalment of our countdown to next year's Euros in Germany and we have Switzerland as our final team in Group A. Um, yeah, we're going to be covering where, where we think they could, what they could do, are there notable players, anything of note. So JP, I assume you've gone and looked at the bookies. You're 100% correct there, Jeff. So, yeah, I'll start where I normally do. Um, So, in terms of the bookies odds, Switzerland are the 11th favourites for Euro 2024, which is quite interesting because, I mean, obviously, Germany are are the standouts, but you've got Scotland and Hungary who are 15th and 16th. So, a fairly tight group in terms of the odds from the bookies. Mm -hmm. So, I think... I know I was very quick to write Scotland off within the group, but I know, and I know Jeff, you were actually going. Actually, they could finish second, and so in terms of the odds, they do tend to sort of agree with the way you think, Jeff. In terms of apart from Germany, it could be anyone's game that that sort of finishes finishes second. So by all accounts, it's going to be a, a tight group. Um, their manager is a guy called Murat Yakin, who took over from Switzerland in 2021. Um, I don't know about you, Jeff, but Switzerland for me are are one of those weird kind of teams where they always pop up in these major competitions. And, you know, sometimes they do all right and they seem quite solid, but they're also quite a boring team (laughs) as well in terms of they might might grind out a 1-0 win and get to a quarterfinal and then they'll get beat by you know a slightly bigger bigger nation and then some years they you know they don't really have much of an impact but um in terms of their two most recent um major tournaments so in the world cup 2022 they got to the last 16 and were defeated by portugal 6-1 so they did take a hefty defeat in the last 16 at the world cup however they're what people may uh, or what you might remember as well, Jeff, is the Euros 2020. Yeah. They got to the quarterfinals, um, but on their way, on route to the quarterfinals, they actually beat France on penalties, and Jan Sommer ended up saving that famous penalty against Mbappe to to knock out France <laughs> and progress to the quarters, which they That's actually... brilliant. Yeah, I mean, what that was an absolutely amazing save. I remember watching it going, oh, here come France. They're going to, you know, get... They were obviously one of the favourites um, or the favourite for Euro 2020 and of Mbappe at that time. And, he, you know, was, you know, one of the best in the world. So 
it was, I remember watching that game and being completely shocked that Jan Sommer pulled off something like that. But um, that was a brilliant footballing moment for Switzerland. Um, they then went on, actually drew to Spain in mm-hmm. the in the quarters, one all, and they Spain then actually beat Switzerland on penalties, and that's where they got knocked out. So they had a very good um, rendition within the Euros 2020s. Came up against some some big sides, obviously beat the favourites, almost beating Spain, which is another would have been a huge huge achievement. So that's just a little bit of background. Yeah, the giant of, killers, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Until they came into the World Cup 2022, and then Ronaldo did his thing <laughs> and demolished them um, from Qatar. <laughs> but uh, oh, that guy, <laughs> yeah, that guy. But they, they are a very weird team, is the way I'm going to describe them. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I guess in more in terms of the actual qualification. Two Euro twenty twenty four, again it's you know it's a weird weird scenario. So in their group, Jeff, they had Romania, Israel, Belarus, Kosovo, and Andorra. No. So a very kind of similar to Hungary. I think I forgot how I described it, but a very uninspiring group. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, out of all those teams, you would probably expect Switzerland to finish top, which they didn't. They finished second. And Romania finished top. So they won four, drew five, and lost one. Mm-hmm. And that loss did come from um, Romania. However, they had some... When you look at the team, so Andorra, on one of the occasions, they only beat them 2-1. Um, when you think about you know how small of a nation Andorra is. And then they had results like drawing 2-2 to Kosovo, which again, it's not a brilliant result. Great. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, some really uninspiring results in there. Um, is, is there anything you want to, I mean, I've got some sort of key players and stuff that we can sort of mention, Jeff, but is there any sort of anything else you've kind of picked up around Switzerland? Or are you kind of along the same sort of tracks around them being quite a strange team? Yeah, sort of giant killer. They've got some standouts in their in their team as we'll we'll draw upon shortly. But, um, yeah, very weird run up, um, uninspiring against you know as you said Kosovo. Yeah, I'm not sure whether, how they'll do. They could they could be maybe third, and just go in as as like a as a best loser into the knockout stages. Yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't call it, dude. <laughs> it's a hard one to pin down, but they've also had like nineteen yellow cards within their <laughs> within their qualifiers. So you know, I guess with Granite Jacker in there, I guess it's expected. But um, yeah, not the most disciplined it seemed this in the last campaign. But um, I guess we move on to some key key players. I think yep. apart from Germany, um, they've got some, you know, some real big. I guess star players within their squad. Um, so you got the likes of Jan Sommer um, in there, who the keeper who plays for Inter uh, Milan. Um, and then in defence, they've got some big hitters as well. So you got the likes of Manuel Kanji, Fabian Shah, and a guy called Nico Elvedi, who plays for Munchen Gladbach, who's a bit of a regular in the in the Switzerland team. So you know, a fair few. I'd call solid defenders the I guess the standout there, Jeff is is Manuel Kanji. Mm-hmm. So you'd I mean you'd expect them to be fairly solid. They obviously weren't within their qualification groups. Um but sort of moving on to midfield, you've got the likes of Granite Xhaka, who just mentioned, who's had you know played a big part within recent Arsenal teams. Jedan Shakiri, who's now in the MLS, um, who's a very well sort of well well known name. So you know, you do have those those sort of names i think i think a few of them are jeff are there sort of coming towards the more experienced end of their their careers um but i mean there's a couple of unknowns in their jeff which are sort of slightly younger which might pack a bit of a punch come the the actual euros 
It's a great mix of leadership, yeah. So when you look at that, Xhaka is a, is a, is a bit of a hothead was for Arsenal. Uh, Kanji's got that triple winning title experience, as you said. Um, yeah, Shakiri and Shah. Again, leadership material. So mm. It's a strange one. Yeah, you wouldn't want to face them if you were in the same group. They seem better than Scotland, to be honest, don't they? When you think about it, and Hungary. <laughs> yeah, could they be second of the group? Like, where do you reckon they will? They might I, finish in the group. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm going to say they're going to finish third in the group. They mm-hmm. do have a couple of unknowns, which I've kind of picked out as well. So they got a guy... So this is more looking in towards their forwards. Um, cause they, they, te- they seem to be a bit more sort of unknown or kind of under the radar so you've got a guy in there called Zeki Amduni mm-hmm. and so he he actually plays for Burnley and so uh, for Burnley he's played 17 times and scored twice mm-hmm. um, but in the in the Euro qualifiers he played 10 times for Switzerland and scored 6 goals so he's quite prolific in, in the European campaign Um and then one of their midfielders is a guy called Ruben Vargas, who plays oh, for Augsburg. Yeah. Um, and within their Euro campaign, they play. He's played nine, scored three. Um, I think the other other person to kind of watch out for, although he didn't have a very good Euros campaign, is a guy called Noah Okafor, who's mm-hmm. also twenty three years old, plays for AC Milan now, um, and he played seven times for Switzerland and didn't score once. Um, and he's played for Milan 12 times, scored three. But I think before joining Milan, he played for RB Salzburg, and he had a really, really good, um, I guess, sort of goal-scoring record. I can't remember off the top of my head what it was, but it was quite impressive. So they've got a couple of youngsters in there, which kind of gives them a bit of a, a balanced squad in terms of sort of mixing up with like the likes of what you're saying, the leaders of the Yajakas and your kanjis and stuff so it feels like they've got quite a nice blend um but yeah i think like like we're saying it's hard to kind of pinpoint and for me they have the potential to finish second but for me i'm going to predict that they're going to come third and that hungary will pip them to second this group is an enigma i I just i kind of i sort of agree with you i just think is Scotland, it depends on their injuries list, as we mentioned. Hungary, again, seem to have this amazing coach. This is just to it's just spin the bottle and see who it lands on to qualify. <laughs> but maybe I might redo mine and say, actually, I think Switzerland might be second, and then Hungary maybe fourth, Scotland third. Yeah, uh, and then yeah, and then we, yeah, that that's probably where my head's at. Cool. So just to round up on on our predictions for for listeners, so we got JP who's predicting a Germany first, mm-hmm. Hungary second, Switzerland third, and Scotland fourth, <laughs> and we have Jeff predicting a Germany first, Switzerland second, yep. Scotland third, and Hungary fourth. And so what we'll do when we next see John is we'll get his predictions for Group A as well. We are going to keep a track so when it comes to Euro 2024, we can mark our predictions against what actually happens and see who gets the closest. But Jeff, that rounds up Group A for our Euro 2024 countdown. So from next week, we'll be moving on to Group B. But it'll be good to hear your predictions if you do have any for Group A in Euro 2024, if you tweet us on the Two Cents Footy podcast or email us on our twocentsfussy at gmail.com. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be very interested to hear your, your thoughts and, and predictions for those teams. Bob, thank you, JP. Okay, yeah, it's a very thorough look at, at uh, Switzerland. So we, we, we very covered, very comprehensively covered Group A. Just briefly going to cover the idea of um, the new schedule or the schedule over Christmas and the festive period. Uh, so there's kind of a debate going about whether 
the Premier League should emulate what La Liga and uh, Bundesliga are doing. So you've seen Jude Bellingham supporting Joe Bellingham at the Sunderland Games. Uh, for our listeners, JP is just making a a, a triumphant a gesture. Um, and then obviously Harry Kane has finally moved out of his hotel to move into his proper house in Munich. Uh, he's actually able to to do some kind of personal life admin. So it's, it does make you question this relentless fixture list between, let's just say, that the kind of 17th, 18th of December all the way up to New Year's Day. Is that sustainable and should the Premier League have a week off completely? I mean, I think my personal view is they could have a small festive break because, you know, that could mitigate the risk of bigger injuries and also which would affect England's 2024 prospects. Just hammering players like this, especially with the weather so variant, could result in, yeah, probably long-form injuries uh, and, and kind of poor morale, mental health. Um, the flip side isn't it that they're paid so much they should just be able to get on with it while everyone's off give us entertainment but then JP what do you make of it what do you reckon the Premier League should do to or if anything yeah it's it's an interesting debate and you're right there's two kind of frames of mind for it and at the moment I'm barely on the fence yeah it's it's tricky because I think when you look at it, the players, you know, they've got one of the best jobs in the world and, you know, they're getting paid tons and tons of money, you know, to do that. And people would absolutely love to be in their position. So, you know, you know, is a, you know, a bit of a bunched up sort of fixture list over the, the Christmas period, actually really the end of the world. Um, I think for a lot of people, they would say, yeah, yeah, they get paid more than enough to sort of cover, to cover that that sort of fixture list. And you think about sort of the people, you know, you know, everyday working people that, you know, it's it's much harder for them in terms of sort of working and and possibly in in things they don't particularly want to work in. So, mm. um, I do a hundred percent agree with that with that whole argument. I think the thing that's sort of different now is that the games are sort of so spread out across the, the festive period as well. So where we've had a few get you know a few games on Boxing Day, and um, we've got one tonight, and you know throughout the week there'll be bits and bobs, and then we'll have the yeah. like the New Year's Day thing. I think whereas maybe when we we're growing up, you know it was Boxing Day, every team would play, and then. You know, then the New Year's thing, every team would generally play on the same day. And so I think the whole TV rights thing has probably got a bit a bit part to play in the argument as well, where I do kind of feel a bit sorry for players and clubs. And I do get why they, they don't particularly enjoy it, because they're sort of being messed around by having to be play on, on all these different days. And it sometimes the schedules just make it really hard for certain teams whether they're sort of traveling up and down the country within a couple of days and i do agree that also the intensity of the game has is now more advanced than probably what it used to be um but having having said that as a as a football fan i absolutely love the the christmas period um you know there's always a game on and when people have got time off it's you know it's brilliant to sort of either go to the get go to a game or or watch have something on tv to sort of watch when the weather's a bit rubbish here in the uk <laughs> so as a fan it is absolutely brilliant um but yeah they're, they're sort of my kind of real thoughts around it it's very much sitting on the fence um i don't really have a one-sided view on it i can i can completely get both sides yeah it's a tricky one i do love it being on but then I just think it's relentless and I don't mind the idea of just having a short break just to give everyone a reset, whether it's like 22nd to the 29th and then they can just do a full New Year's Eve thing. Yeah, because I mean, I do think since COVID, actually the breaks that players have had since COVID is actually 
almost near nothing. Yeah. Um, you think how jam packed that season was. We then had sort of Euros and a World Cup, so you know the top end players are playing full seasons, and then they've had major competitions within within the summer as well. And I guess that sort of includes Nations League and all that kind of stuff. So I do. I I am getting. I think I'm more. I'm getting more towards the point where I'm in favour of having that that little break. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually think you know you got clubs get having huge injury lists. I do think it's all part of that this whole cycle we've had since COVID, where they've just been overplayed. The intensity's so high now, um, where I think yeah they probably just need that kind of reset now within the year where such as like countries in Germany and Spain do. I think it's actually now more of a need, whereas I think before it's kind of like, oh, actually, you know, you're just being an overpaid, spoiled footballer <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely, I think I'm more in favour of having that break now, um, despite it being a, a fun for the fans. <laughs> They've they've just not had a chance to actually reset. Uh, we will touch back on Newcastle in a bit, but yeah, just it, it just it re-emphasizes the idea that uh, it's so intense. There's no time really to reset, and it it really could affect. You know, let's say we lose Foden uh, injured at, at Everton later on. What could that do uh, to to England's Euros prospects? You know. JP, thank you very much for your time this week. Pleasure as always, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Great, good to see you. Uh, yep, John's coming back next week in person, so we'll we'll get him back on. And yeah, thanks for joining us again uh, on the Two Cents Footy podcast. <laughs>